We have the privilege this morning of having uh, Mark Bosher here this morning. Some of you are very familiar with Mark. Uh, and he is going to share what's going on his part of the uh, ministry and missionary world through Sim. So, Mark, it's great to have you here this morning. Thanks for being willing to come and join together with us. Thank you. Good morning, Rehoboth. <laughs> uh, around 1960, there was a little girl born in Taiwan. And so for those of you old enough to remember, after the communist revolution in the 50s and 60s, Taiwan was very much a developing country in a rough spot. And she was born in a little village. Her name was Shenghui. And really early on in her life, she contracted polio, which left her devastated. She's unable to walk. And she's got a long story, but the, the current state of that story is that she is right now, actually, as I'm here talking to you, she is preparing to go to take the gospel overseas to an unreached people group in Malawi. And so what I wanted to talk with you about today is what is the connection between Rehoboth and uh, Shengwe, who goes by Esther now? What's that connection? Because um, I think it's a real one. Uh, so here's how it starts. It starts with me sitting on steps over in the other, um, what used to be the sanctuary, with Pastor Strelo telling children's ministry stories, and then Pastor Carl, um, and then lots of time with a blockhead like me, with um, Pauline Scott and Mary Petrimo and Thelma Smulligan, and um, later um, Kenny and Brenda with RCYF pouring into me while I'm struggling with my faith. Um, that's where it starts. So for those of you who are teaching Sunday school right now, just a quick encouragement. It is good work and it's valuable and it will bear fruit. And for those of you who are not, you should give it a thought because it's really important work. Uh, so that story between how this girl in Taiwan ends up in Africa continues when I come back with my wife, Jody, who's here, and we've got Barrett and Emerson, my two younger, and then Addison is at Grand Valley. She couldn't be here this morning, but we came back to you guys and said, hey, the Lord has given us this dream. He's calling us out of this comfortable life we've got in Iowa to go to Paraguay. Um, and, and you stood with us as we went and we ministered among the Guarani in a town called, or a little, be really generous to call it a town, a little village called Cavaju Paso. Um, and it was good time and it was rich time and it would not have been possible if you guys had not been with us and supported us in prayer and, and, um, and financially to help make it go. Not just um, Rehoboth, but people among this congregation who continued to support us. So it was really, really important part of our story. And then we came back after our first term and we, uh, we got kind of a curveball from the Lord. And we were offered a chance to come and take a position with SIM USA in their home office. And so... That's what we've been doing since last October. So I've been now in that chair for about a year, and it's evolved a little bit. So my position now is the chief personnel officer, and Jody is now working in human resources. So what that looks like is I'm responsible for the um, selection and up, uh, uh, training and care of a band of about 700 missionaries and about 100 employees in the home office staff. And that map that you can, that you can see here is that's how SIM USA breaks the world up into different ministry regions. And those 700 missionaries are scattered in about 53 countries. And we've got feet on the ground in every one of those ministry regions. Um, so 
this is, again, another part of the string that ties Rehoboth together to how the mission, uh, the gospel is going out to, um, to Africa. So you guys don't know much about SAM. I believe that you probably supported us because I grew up in the church, not because you said, hey, we like Sim, find us a missionary. Uh, so um, Sim has been around since the late 1890s, and it started in Africa and has grown. So we've been at this for a while now. But here's, here's the beating heart of what it is that we do. By prayer, we recruit prepare and journey with christians sent by churches as we go and make disciples of jesus christ where needed most and i broke that mission statement up into bullet points because i think each one of them is kind of important to knowing the heartbeat of sim so that first part by prayer is critical to knowing sim we are convinced to our core that we can spin our wheels all day long but unless we go to the lord in prayer and he joins us it's all going to come to naught we can't do anything without him moving first and then we recruit, prepare, and journey with. I've got underlined the prepare and journey with, and I'll talk more about it, but that's really where my part of it comes in and your part of it through me. And then we send Christians sent by churches. So if somebody were to come to us and say, hey, um, I believe in Jesus and I want to go um, to the mission field, but I'm not a part of a church, we would say we're probably not the right mission for you because we are convinced that you can't send a missionary to a hard spot unless there's a church like Rehoboth that's willing to stand behind them and cover them in prayer when the, t- when the cards are down and to stand with them. Um, and then we go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that looks, in a mission like, like Sim, it, it can look very different. So that might be sending um, a teacher, and it might be sending a church planner or a discipler. It might be sending a soccer coach. It might be sending a cardiothoracic surgeon. It's a broad spectrum. But what they're all doing is making disciples. And then the last one is we go um, where it's needed most. So we look at those regions and we try to figure out where is nobody else going because that's where we want to go. And I think that's the harder we hope with also. So it's a good fit. So we recruit, prepare, and journey with. So the prepare part is where we come in. And I thought about how am I going to help you understand this kind of sometimes could feel like a little boring administrative part of it. And I think it only makes sense if you think about it in the terms of, of people. So this is Ryan. We just sent Ryan on an airplane three weeks ago to Thailand. So Ryan came to us fresh out of college. He had a... a, a a degree that allowed him to go do social work and the Lord tugged on his heart and told him that he had to go to the mission field. So he came to us. So what that looks like for my part is I lead a team that helps um, essentially vet them. So he fills out an application and we go to town and we talk with him. We see how serious he is and where he's at with that. We do a background check. We send him to a battery psychological test, a full Myers-Briggs, MMPI, um, a full doctrinal Assessment, so we get a sense for what he, not just that he loves Jesus, but what does he know about the doctrine and where has he got holes where he can grow a little bit. Um, we talk with his pastor. We get personal references. And when that's all done, then we bring him to our campus in Charlotte. And then we have about two or three days where we have a chance to talk with him. We get to know him a little bit. Um, and we do a little bit of initial training. He learns about SIM, and we start to lay some foundational bedrock things that he's going to need to know if he's going to thrive on the mission field. And at the end of that time, then I lead a committee, and we have... Um, basically a roundtable talk about Ryan. And we decide, how ready is he to go to the mission field? And it's almost never a hard, he'll never go. But it's usually a, he's ready to go right now, or he's going to need some things. He's going to have to fill some holes. What we have discovered over over 100 years of doing this is that when you send somebody to the mission field, the pressures that are going to be brought to bear are going to be such that whatever is in them that needs a little bit of fixing is going to come to the surface right away. So we do our best to try to identify that and help really prepare people before they go. Um, after that, 
once we accept them, we bring them back to another thing called SimGo, which is about a five-day training, and they come there. They can only come there once they've got an agreement with a part of the world where they're going to go. Here's a great thing about Ryan. Ryan um, started saying, I want to go where the needs are most. And we said, well, there's a lot of needs in Thailand. There's a lot of missions agencies that send people to Bangkok or they send people to Chiang Mai. We don't do that. We looked around Thailand, and there's a city called Ayutthaya. Uh, It is a hard scrabble industrial town and it is spiritually a black hole it is a hard place matter of fact when we told our um our thai christian partners that we were going to go plan a team in ayutthaya we got a lot of wide eyes and shook heads like they actually they were not very excited about that so we did it and actually after the last five years we've seen a couple missionary couples come straggling back because they had a hard go and they were wiped out by it. the spiritual warfare is really intense there and we were very upfront with ryan uh, and he actually as he heard that story said that's where I want to go. That's where they need to hear the gospel. And so, um, so that's what we're planning on. We're replanting a team in Ayutthaya, and he's going to be a part of it. So we brought him back to SimGo for five days, and we pour into him about what it's like to, to work on a cross-cultural team. One thing that's unique about SIM is that we send people from everywhere to everywhere. So if you came to me and you wanted to go do ministry in Chad, I'm going to send you, but you're going to be on a team there with um, missionaries from Ethiopia and from Ni- uh, Nigeria from the UK and from Australia, just by way of one example. And there are unique dynamics to that that you've got to prepare people for. Uh, Nigerians express conflict in a different way than Australians, and it gets a little sideways sometimes if you're not really careful about it. But it's also a really good reflection of the way the kingdom of God is. So, um, so we pour into them, and then we teach him how to go raise an army of people who are going to pray for him and to support him, and we send them out. Ryan came back after that, fully supported and ready to go. And we have a final training that's about six days. It includes a fine. We, we teach them the art of lament because he's going to be on the field and things are going to get hard. And he's going to know, how do I take that to the Lord and wrestle with that? And we talked to him about discipleship. And along the way, there's some online training that happens to make sure that he's foundationally sound. Uh, and then we have a three-day advanced security training where we send him through mock hijackings, uh, mock interactions with border police. Uh, uh, simulated carjacking just so he's ready so when the hard things happen we're not just sending him out like a sheep among wolves um, and we sent him and he's there he's just out of quarantine he's starting to learn Thai and, um, and he looks like he's having um, a good time so far but, uh, so that's one example of what it looks like to prepare a missionary that's where you and I join together to send a missionary this is another example the story I started with the woman from Taiwan it goes by Esther now. She's got a convoluted story, and you'll hear more of it later. But at the end of the day, the, the short of that story is that a missionary couple came to her village and planted a church, and they planted a medical clinic, and they performed surgery so that she could walk again. And she found Jesus at that church. She ended up coming to the United States. She learned English. She went all the way through college. And she worked her way up until she was an executive vice president at Aetna Insurance and later at Mercedes-Benz USA. She had, was a Um, an IT specialist, a remarkable woman. Um, So when Esther came to us, her training needs are a little bit different. Training Esther to go to the field looks different than training Ryan to go to the field, as you might imagine. She's got a little more life underneath her belt. She knows a little bit what it's like to live cross-culturally, but she still has needs. So we walked with her about what it looks like, what, what, um, what her language experience would look like as she learned language in Malawi. We walked with her about the way she's going to engage in a team with somebody with a Taiwanese heritage as opposed to somebody that's from the United States. We did all that same preparation for her, but had a little bit different flavor for her. So Esther is going to be going to Malawi. 
because you guys are partnering with us. That's what that looks like. So the next stage of this is journey with. So the reality is that the preparation and the vetting of missionaries is a part of what I do, but it's not the bulk of what I do. It's maybe the most fun part of what I do, but it's not the bulk of it. The bulk of what I do is a journey with missionaries who are in, who are in hard spots, um, which gets messy sometimes, but it's important. So this is Melissa. She is ministering in Jos, Nigeria. And the reality is that in Jos, Nigeria, sex trafficking is rampant and nobody's really dealing with it. Melissa started a ministry called For Freedom. So she goes and helps identify people that are being sex trafficked. She helps work with the authorities to bring them out of that. And then um, she helps love on them and help them see themselves as Jesus sees themselves. So in December of last year, I got a call from the country director in Nigeria saying, uh, we need to talk about Melissa because she's got a cough and a runny nose. And you can imagine what that meant in December of last year. Um, she pretty quickly deteriorated and she ended up in the hospital. And the reality was they didn't have a ventilator and her oxygen levels were dropping in ways that they couldn't control. And so part of being sent by SIM means that you've got medical evacuation insurance. And so I spent a couple of days on the phone trying to coordinate that for her. And we ended up putting her in an ambulance there. She, um, she looks a lot more happy there than when I was on the phone with her. I think she's putting on a pretty good face. You can see she's starting to put on her little uh, oxygen cannula to make sure that her oxygen stays up. So they drove her over hours of bumpy roads from Jos, Nigeria to Abuja, the capital. And at the same time, we had um, our, our, our medical evacuation insurance carrier had coordinated a private jet to come out of Vienna with, a, with an Austrian doctor and a nurse. And they met her. The closest place we could get her that would accept her was the Canary Islands in Tenerife. So they flew her to a hospital in Tenerife where they spoke Spanish. Melissa didn't speak any Spanish. Trying to get somebody into a different country in December of last year was a fairly interesting exercise. Um, but we did it. And then uh, she's from northwestern Arkansas. She doesn't have a lot of contacts in the Canary Islands. And we don't have a team there. So I started to work the phones. And we found a retired SIM missionary from the U.K., who was living in Tenerife, who was willing to go there and take her meals and meet her at the hospital and care for her, give her a place to stay as she tried to clear quarantine to go back to, the, uh, back to Arkansas. And then she got back to Arkansas, and both of her parents died within the course of the last year. So she has been a, a hard stretch, and we've been walking with her and praying with her. And after December of this year, after Christmas, she's going back to Joss. So that's one example of what it looks like to journey with a missionary. This is Roland and Sarah. They are not that far away from Ryan. They were pretty fresh-faced, um, didn't go to college, um, had worked in some camp ministries, were passionate about Jesus. They came to us and said, we want to go to a hard place. Well, one of our hard places is in Niger. So we put them on a plane with their, and their daughter must have been probably two when they left, and they had an infant. So they landed in Niamey, uh, Niger, and the quarantine rules had just changed. So they were going to quarantine in our guest house there, and they couldn't anymore. So they scrambled and found them an apartment, and they ended up spending two weeks in an unfurnished apartment with mattresses on the floor with their two-year-old and their infant with meals being left in front. In the middle of the night, there was a coup attempt in the MA. So they woke up in the middle of the night to heavy machine gun fire. You can imagine, from small-town America, that was a little bit unsettling for them. They, they, they recovered from that. They came out of quarantine. We put them on a Cessna airplane, and we flew them two hours further into Niger, then we put all of their stuff and their kids in a land cruise and we drove them another four hours pretty much to the end of the line because that's where they said they wanted to go. They arrived and they woke up the next morning and the fence was broken on the house where they were supposed to be. And they had little kids pounding on their windows because they wanted some food and they wanted um, to play with their kids' toys. And that went on for a while. And then um, about a month in, Sarah and their little girl got sick. I think it was malaria. 
And they were down. They were down for about three or four weeks sick. So Roland was caring for Sarah and their little girl. And then as they recovered, Roland and their little boy, Robert, Bear, got sick with the same thing. And they started waving the white flag and saying, we, you got to help us. So a lot of time on the phone, walking with them, counseling them. We said, we're going to pull you back to the next mission statement. So they got in their Land Cruiser and they drove. And we got a call from them on the side of the road that their car had broken down. So if you, that to us feels very much like spiritual warfare. The Lord wants no part of Roland and Sarah where they were. So we brought them back. We brought them back to Charlotte. We've got an apartment for situations like this. So we put them up and we started this process of walking with them and counseling them. Our office is populated primarily by missionaries. So they're talking with people who understand what it is that they were going through. We just signed an agreement for them to now, now they, they are not quite ready to go back to Niger right now, but there's a language school in Quebec where we teach all of our language students that are going to work in West Africa French, and they needed somebody to help take care of the missionaries who were there. So Roland and Sarah, Later this year, I'm going to launch to Quebec, and they're going to work at that language school, and they're going to help care for missionaries while they're learning French. They're going to work on their French at the same time while they kind of recover from that experience. Then they're going to do outreach in the area around there. And after about three years, their plan is to go back to Niger. So that's another way in which you, in partnership with us, are helping care for missionaries. And this is the final one, A and J. They were... Um, they spent years in a really closed access country in uh, East Asia until they were finally, about a year ago, um, politely disinvited by that government to be there as a part of a crackdown on missionaries. So they came back on what felt like a frustrating but a little bit of a normal home assignment. And um, their, their story is a little unique in that they don't have the kind of stable family structure that a lot of our missionaries have. So they came back and they, they went on the circuit and they talked to churches and they met with their supporters. Uh, but it was stressful for them. So they were essentially itinerant. They didn't have any spot. And they finally called our office um, earlier this year. And they were staying at a friend of a friend's cabin up in the mountains somewhere in the south. And it was the fall. And it was like 40 degrees outside. And there was no heat in the cabin. And they were at the end of their line. And they said, um, can you guys help us? So we did the same thing. We brought them back to the apartment that we've got on campus. We started to walk with them about what it looks like for them to move forward. And it didn't take very long, and the Lord started to spark their heart. Um, they knew that they were not going to be able to wait long-term to go back to that country where the access had been closed. Um, but they started to feel this tug to another country in Central Asia where missionaries just don't go. It's a hard spot. This couple has got a pioneering spirit like very few I have met. So we said, hey, listen, people need to hear about Jesus in that country. We don't have a team. And they said, well, how are you going to get a team if nobody goes? And so... They launched a couple of months ago to a place that is almost impossible to access in Central Asia. They're starting their first language. They're going to have to learn a second language because there's some Russian influence there. Um, and they're remarkable. That's another way in which you, partnering with us, are helping to make sure that the gospel is advancing in hard places in the world. So here's what Sim and Rehoboth have done just through those stories. And I could stand up here for hours, um, although you'd never invite me back, and tell you more stories. So... Over the last year, you've helped make sure that trafficking victims in Nigeria are going to have a voice to help share with them about what they look like in Jesus. You sent somebody to go to Thailand to one of the hardest to reach places where the spiritual warfare is heavy and he is ready to go. Um, you are helping somebody speak to the Chinese diaspora in Malawi in a way that almost nobody could. She comes ready to speak Chinese. She understands that culture and she's ready to go. Um, you're helping make sure that missionaries can go to Niger, where it's 90% Muslim. And a missionary couple is now going to be able to go back to Niger when they're healed up and ready to go because of you guys. 
and you sent out a missionary to Central Asia in a place that nobody wants to go. Um, so I just want you to know, um, I, we value this. Your support of us is really important. And because of you guys, we're able to do this. And I think that Rehope is able to have an even broader impact than you may understand on the global missions world. So now I wanted to just talk with you about what does that look like? So we know one, one way that it looks is you guys are supporting us, which we value deeply. But I want to encourage you to pray. I said early on that SIMUSA is known for prayer. And that is, man, you would understand that if you came to our campus. We don't do anything without praying over at first. Um, and I've got an opportunity for you that you can join us in prayer. And I'm, so there's a video that I'd like you to watch and, and join us in. Hurricane. We're seeing some of the worst political violence. Yemen is at the risk of the worst famine. These guns are firing now about 15, 20 miles up the road toward the Cambodian border. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. These are the people he has called us to go to. More than three billion still unreached by the gospel. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. This is a world crying out for restoration, for justice and mercy. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. A world crying out for Jesus Christ. Bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest field. So I just wanted to read that again from um, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So there's a campaign that we've got that I'd like to invite you to join in. So um, based on that verse, Matthew 9, 38, at 9, 38 every morning, I've got an alarm set on my watch. And there's a campaign you can sign up for. You can shoot that QR code with the camera on your phone, or you can go to simus, uh, simusa.org slash pray938. 
we've got a card on the table that I can hand to you that'll help you sign up for it. But if you sign up for that campaign, you'll get a text on your phone with just a brief snippet about a missionary who is in process, who's contact us, who wants to go. And if you would take one minute every morning to pray for that missionary, we're confident that the Lord will answer those prayers and we'll send out more labor. So that's one way that you can get engaged. Um, I want to leave you with one more way that I think the Lord may be challenging us this morning. So I'm going to share with you the testimony of Esther. And she, uh, she'll be able to talk to you more about her experience than I am, but, um, but it's powerful. And I think she's, she's challenging us. Places where we've not seen it this morning. Esther Shang is going to be sharing her story this morning, and uh, she's just going to share from the floor this morning. She's over on this side. Uh, so, yeah, welcome her. So good. Esther, would you share with us what God's been doing? Thank you very much, Charlie, for this wonderful worship song. Yes, I depend on you all. Um, my testimony is going to be three parts. Who am I and uh, my mission and uh, why cross-culture mission? Um, my name is Esther Shen. I'm not native here, as you can tell. So I will read from my testimony. Read from my, um, please forgive me. My, my name is Esther Shen. I was born and raised in Taiwan. My Chinese, my Chinese name is Shen Yuan. That means abundance and the fullness, but um, my life is exactly the opposite of the meaning of my name because my polio. Since my childhood, I am in my little mind. I thought I was doomed to be shamed, a failure, and unlovable, no matter how hard I try. When I was 14 years old, Jesus graciously met me at a summer camp in Taiwan. He opened my eyes to see the reason why he gave me polio. Uh, it is a love marker. His uh, special design is a temporary chain of love that would yield his abundant life in me. Polio chained me to the church and to Jesus so I could know him and become a testimony of his grace and glory. Uh, why mission? Fast forward to 2021, when I reflect on my life, how God has saved me from a shattered, distorted, shameful, despaired, and helpless sinner to enjoy a life with his abundant blessings and joy in spite of my polio. Jesus has totally turned my life around. I'm amazed by how good God has been to me. He brought me even to the U.S. to pursue a higher education and graciously sustained me through various IT jobs. Praise God uh, for, for uh, the great things he has done in my life. It is this his great love which compelled me to resign from my 38-year IT career to take a, a early retirement and devote the rest of my life to share the gospel of Jesus with people who have least resources. I ask the Lord, will a handicapped retiree be of any use in your mission field? After much prayer, I revealed my mission plan with the mission deacon of our church. He pointed me to Pastor Wang 
at the Singh International Office. With Pastor Wang's gentle pastoral guidance and affirmation, I started the application with Singh USA on May 1st this year. Why cross-culture mission? Life was hard and poor in Taiwan in the 50s through 70s when Guomindang Party retrieved from mainland China to Taiwan. Two Norwegian missionary doctors followed Jesus' footsteps against all odds, gave up the handsome salary and comfortable prestigious lifestyles in their home country to endure all the hardship as itinerary doctors in the poor remote villages in southern Taiwan. That was the inception of the Pingtung Christian uh, Hospitals in Taiwan. They operated on 5,000 polio children. And I was one of them. That's how I could stand up and walk again. And that is why I can be here today. Also, the Norwegian cross-culture missionaries planted a church in our village and told us about Jesus and his gospel. That changed my life and my family's life completely. Now, by God's grace and with a grateful heart, it's my turn to do cross-culture mission in Malawi. I pray that God will use me so many others may know Jesus and have the abundance and the fullness of life in Jesus. Thank you. Sorry, Hoboth. Esther walks with crutches like this, slowly and painfully, and she shared a story with us when she was there last week um, that she had almost fallen when she, a couple of days before. And she was so grateful. And we were a little surprised. And she explained she was so grateful because she had fallen getting out of her car and she had just landed on the sill of her door of her car. Because she said when she falls all the way to the ground, she can't get up. That's how weak polio has left her. And Esther Rehoboth is going to Malawi to a really rough spot because that's how passionate she is about taking Jesus to people who need to hear it. So here's my challenge to you. The world looks at Esther Sheng and this is her get out of jail free card with regard to missions, right? Nobody expects Esther to go. So what are your crutches? What is the thing in your life when you talk to God that you say, I could never go to be a missionary. I got little kids. I got a new job. I got a house I love. I got new grandkids. There's lots of reasons to not go to the mission field. But the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to ask that you join me and that we just take a couple minutes to talk with the Lord honestly about what he might be calling of us to do with regard to missions. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for Rehoboth. I thank you for the long legacy of faithfulness and all the many ways we can recount how you have been faithful to us as a congregation. Lord, this church has sent out missionary after missionary and they have supported faithfully. And I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would meet us here this morning. Lord, I'm convinced that there are people here today listening to my voice who you have a spot for on the mission field, Lord. I pray that you would um, give those people, Lord, to whom you are giving that call, the grace to trust in you, to follow you, and to know that none of this is possible without your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the privilege of joining you in mission so that someday around your throne, your name will be praised and glorified in a way that reflects every people, nation, and tongue, Lord. Thank you so much for this call. Amen. Thank you, Mark. And, um, you know, the mission conference uh, that we're in the last week of, you, you, you've heard the stories, uh, life stories that Mark shared. You're aware of other opportunities that God will use, the partnerships that we're cultivating, and the support, um, prayer support and the financial support for him to do great things, things beyond the scope of our comprehension and understanding. And so I would invite you to be in prayer for sin, for Ryan, Melissa, uh, Roland, Sarah, A&J, and Esther, for each one of them and for the many others. And just to give God praise for the great things that he's going to do uh, and express our appreciation to Mark and Jody and all of sin. Would you just join together in praising God for me? Yeah. I think it's a format with me. Um, and we're, you know, we're um, less than halfway to a lofty goal, but we believe that God can do great things. Looking forward to seeing what it is that he's going to do as a result of this mission conference.